Beautiful. Amen. Well, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. If you're visiting with us this morning, it is our normal habit to walk through books of the Bible. And we're walking through the book of Philippians and we find ourselves in chapter 2, verses 19 through 24 this morning. Philippians 2, 19 through 24. Now, if you've spent much time reading the Bible, you will have noticed that much of the Bible is written in terms of the life stories of those who God has used to advance his kingdom. And one of the things you'll also notice is not only is the Bible filled with great biographies of individuals who have been used by God, but the Bible is filled with great partnerships. People who God has used together to accomplish things that they could not have accomplished alone. You have Moses with Aaron and Hur who fought the Amalekites. You have Joshua and Caleb who were called to work together with the other ten spies to spy out the land. You have Nehemiah and Ezra who worked in close proximity to one another, both with different assignments, but both working closely together in order to rebuild the walls. David and Jonathan had to have each other. David could never have escaped King Saul if it wasn't for Jonathan's help. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who together were thrown into the fire and were released by the power of God together. It was Elijah and Elijah that were working together to see the kingdom of God advance in the midst of a wicked generation. You have Priscilla and Aquila, one of the great tag teams in all of the New Testament. And over and over, we could go on and on of the great partnerships that God uses to accomplish his work. Each one of these partnerships is giving us an example of the way in which God works and showing us very clearly that when God works, he doesn't most often work just simply in individuals. He works in those who have decided to come together to accomplish his purposes in a way they could not do so alone. Now, one of the greatest partnerships that we see in all of the scriptures, and one that we probably have more information about than any other partnership, is the wonderful partnership between Paul and Timothy. Now, you may not often think about that as a partnership. You might think about it more as a mentoring relationship where Timothy and Paul were not necessarily co-workers. It was that Timothy was working for Paul or under Paul. But the problem is, is that Paul didn't see it that way. Paul clearly saw his relationship with Timothy as a partnership. That's why throughout the scriptures, when Paul refers to Timothy, he says things like, Timothy is my partner. He is my co-worker. He is my co-laborer. He is my fellow servant. That Paul seems to very intentionally speak to Timothy in such a way to make sure that we understand that these were two men working together to accomplish the purposes of God, and it becomes one of the greatest partnerships in all of Scripture. Now, we looked at this a few weeks ago, but it really all started in Acts chapter 16. When Paul was in Lystra and he was just beginning his second missionary journey, he went to a church there and he discovered a young man by the name of Timothy. Timothy was a man who was, seemed, raised by his godly mother and grandmother who taught him in the things of the Lord. And what happened in his life is the way that this should happen in all of our lives is that through Timothy's involvement in the ministry of the local church, those in the local church noticed God's hand upon him. And they called him out. 
He felt the call of God in his life. Others around him noticed it. And when Paul came to town, he absolutely noticed it as well. So he gives Timothy this incredible honor. He invites Timothy on his second missionary journey. From that moment on, Timothy begins to follow uh, Paul up until we get to the point right here when the book of Philippians has been written. And it's over that time, a ten, at least 10-year period of time in which these two work together every single place and every single moment, becoming really inseparable. And it wasn't just the development of a partnership. It was the development of a, of a friendship. They deeply loved each other. Look at a place like 2 Timothy chapter 1 when Paul says to Timothy, now after this, removed from Paul, going to do his own ministry work, which Paul says, Timothy, I long to see you that I might receive joy from you. When you think about what that says about the relationship, Timothy, I want to see you. My heart is longing for you because I know that when I see you, I will receive joy from you. And Paul had a lot of laborers. He had Barnabas, he had Silas, he had Apollos, he had Luke, but he didn't have anybody quite like Timothy. And so here Paul is writing the book of Philippians, and Timothy's with him. Paul is in a Roman prison, and it doesn't seem that Timothy is in prison with him, but Timothy has gone with him. So when Paul uh, was put in shackles and was taken to Rome, Timothy went with him. Timothy was not going to leave him. And while Paul was in prison, he got a letter from the church at Philippi from Epaphroditus, who we'll talk about in the next section. And the church at Philippi says, Paul, we need help. Things are going well, but there's conflict within the church, and we need someone to come and help us resolve the conflict. And they write the letter requesting, listen to this, that Paul would send Timothy to them to help them. Now, they know Timothy. He was there when the church was planted. And we know, as we've talked about before, this partnership between the church at Philippi and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So they were very familiar with Timothy, and they were begging for him to come. It actually says in verse 22 of this passage, you know Timothy's proven worth. They know that he's a good man. But here's Paul's dilemma. He knows they need Timothy, but Paul doesn't want to see Timothy go. He even says at the end of this text, I I need to see how it goes with me first before I send Timothy to you. And so Paul is writing here back to the church saying, I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to you, but I'm not going to send Timothy back to you because I can't send him until I know what's going to go on with me. I have to have Timothy with me. Now, there's a tendency to think that Paul is just kind of taking care of some business, that that this passage is kind of like a, a genealogy. We're confident it's there for a reason. We're just not sure exactly why. And when we read our Bibles, we skip it. I know you skip it too. We all seem to skip the genealogies. Not because we don't love them. We just can't pronounce the names. And we kind of come to this place and we think, well, maybe Paul in his writing has to take care of some practical matters. So we skip the end of chapter 2 and go to what we think is the good stuff in chapter 3. But what I'm saying to you today is that as Paul is writing why Timothy can't come, What ends up happening is that Paul begins to speak about Timothy, and in so doing, we get a little insight into the nature of their relationship. That we get to see what it is that made them so close. What is it that made them not just friends, but partners in the gospel ministry? This really becomes a model for us of gospel partnership. And it really reminds us of something that all of Scripture reminds us of, and that is this. That God seems to always accomplish his purposes through gospel partnerships. 
I mean, I really believe that's the point of this text this morning is that God accomplishes his purposes through gospel partnerships. I could take you from passage to passage throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament and show you that God's purposes are never accomplished by Lone Ranger Christians. That it is always in relationship with other people that God is going to do the work that he wants to do in you and through you. And if you are living as a believer in isolation, outside of these types of relationships, listen to me carefully, you will never be able to accomplish everything God intends for you to accomplish. God accomplishes his purpose through gospel partnerships. Now, I think one thing that needs to be said before we dig into this text is that when it comes to a passage like this, we might have a tendency to think, well, yes, Paul needed a Timothy. Yes, Elijah needed an Elisha. And just kind of go through the list. Yes, as, as missionary couples and pastors and ministers, you all need kind of partners to work together with. But what I want to say to you is this, is that what God wants to do in your life through this text of Scripture is show you that every single believer must have relationships that go beyond friendships and are gospel partnerships. That every single one of us need these. And what I'm praying God will do this morning is that he will take some friendships that are here and he will transition those from just being friendships to being gospel partnerships. You know what I'm praying this morning? I'm praying that he would take some marriages this morning and transition them into gospel partnerships. I'm praying that he would put in the heart of some students this morning and some heart of some singles and some married couples, young and old, whoever you may be, that he would put in your heart an understanding that if you want to be used by God and if you want God to accomplish his work in you, you must take some of your friendships and transition them into gospel partnerships. And this text shows us exactly what that looks like. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you three marks of gospel partnership. Three marks of gospel partnership pleading with you to write these down, to meditate upon these, and to begin to ask the Lord to take some of your existing relationships and transition them into something that matters more for eternity. Three marks of gospel partnerships. The first one is this. Gospel partnerships share the mind of Christ. Get that down. Gospel partnerships share the mind of Christ. What do they have in common? Well, they have the, the same mind. And that's what we see in verses 19 and 20. Let me read it. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, Paul says, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. What he's saying is, I want to send Timothy because then Timothy will give me a report of you and I want to be cheered of news by you. He goes on, he says, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Now, where I get this idea of gospel partnerships sharing the same mind is from what Paul says in verse 20. He says, for I have no one like him. 
Now, that little phrase right there, no one like him, if you underline in your Bible, that would be a great passage, a little phrase to underline, because that little phrase is used nowhere else in all of the New Testament. That, that words there, like him, is actually one word in the Greek that means something much deeper than I think the translators could have found a word to communicate to us. When Paul says, I have no one else like him, the word there actually means to be like-souled. Now, this is going to sound odd because our use of the word soulmate, we don't usually use with our buddy. But the truth is, is that Paul is saying, Timothy is like a soulmate to me, that there is something we share together beyond interest and hobbies. We share the same soul, that he is like-souled with me. It's really, I guess we could say, more of a kindred spirit. That may be a more of a, a, a Christian term that we would use. There, there's a kindred spirit, in, and you know that when you encounter it. I've spent a ton of time overseas. I lived overseas as a missionary for two and a half years, and it's interesting how you'll go from place to place, and you meet some people at certain times, and you just get it. You can't even explain it. There's just a kindred spirit. You say, well, what does that come from? Well, it comes from the fact that you share something deeper than common interest or common background. You share a like-mindedness. And the reason that I believe the best way to describe this is a like-mindedness is because this is what Paul has been trying to emphasize from the very beginning of chapter 1 in Philippians. I mean, Paul has been saying to them at the very beginning, in the very first verses, you have partnered with me, Philippian church, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I thank you. But I want you to be careful to not be one of those churches, and by the way, you know this happens, one of those churches that's very good at supporting their missionaries and partnering with their missionaries, they're just not very good at partnering with each other. Like we send all of our money and all of our resources overseas and we're blessing them together. But I think the question is, is are we partnering together for the gospel? And so Paul says, well, well how is it that you can partner together? Philippians 1:27. I want you to be striving side by side, church, for the sake of the gospel. And the answer to that question is that you would have the same mind. That's what he says in 127, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, standing firm in one spirit with one mind. He then in chapter 2 says this, complete my joy by being of the same mind. And you say, well, what is that mind? Well, that's Philippians 2 verse 5, have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What Paul's saying is this, is is the reason that Paul and Timothy have such a fruitful partnership, a friendship, a relationship that is bearing fruit for the gospel is because it begins with their like-mindedness. They're both thinking in a Christ-like manner. They're both, Romans 12, having their mind conformed by God and transformed by God. You know, the one partnership I've continued to think about as I'm thinking about this message is that of Caleb and Joshua. You know, 12 spies were sent to go spy out the land by Moses. And it's an interesting moment because God had already told them, you're going to get the land. I've got it. I'm going to give it to you. You're going to go and you're going to take it. You're going to win the battle. The land is yours. Yet when they come back, 10 of the 12 are terrified 
by what's happening in the land, by how big the people are and uh, how overwhelming the task is. And so 10 out of the 12 come back and say, there's no way. There's no way we can take this land. And there's only two who believed that they could do it. Now, sadly, they didn't listen to the two. They listened to the 10. But I think about what is it that, that made Joshua and Caleb such a united front? And the answer is this. They both simply believe that if God said we're going to take the land, we're going to take the land. They just both had faith in the promises of God. That's it. They were just like-minded. God said it. We believe it. Let's go for it. It was just simply that. You had two people out of the ten who were walking with God, hearing from God, having their minds transformed by God, and the result was two like-minded believers in an incredible gospel partnership. Why? Because they were both submissive to the same Lord. That's exactly what's happening with Paul and Timothy. Paul is walking with Jesus and having his mind conformed into the image of Christ, and Timothy was doing the same thing. They were both people seeking Jesus Christ. Now listen, the foundation of good relationships is completely determined by your own relationship with Jesus Christ. Can we, can we just make sure we understand this? That, that if you're wanting your marriage to be better, you know where it begins? Your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Your holiness, your purity, your desire to seek Christ. If you want better and deeper relationships, then it's through your relationship with Jesus Christ. Singles, I'd encourage you that the thing to focus on the most, and Paul talks a lot about this, is your own personal relationship with Christ. And through that, God will bring you, whether it's a spouse or not, like-minded brothers and sisters that you can be like-souled with. Students, your relationship with Jesus Christ is the determining factor in your relationships more than anything else. So it is what Paul is saying is that there is this ability to have relationships turn into meaningful gospel partnerships, but it starts with your own pursuit of Christ. Because how can you be like-minded with someone else if your mind is not the mind of Christ? So it's saying, listen, start this way, pursue Christ, pursue Christ. And then pray that God in his grace would bring you others, kindred spirits, who are also pursuing Christ. And as you're going after Christ and they're going after Christ, the result is, is that you've got a like-minded people who are advancing the kingdom of God together. And there is nothing on earth like the sweetness of kindred spirits in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel partnerships have the same mind of Christ. The next mark of gospel partnerships is this. Gospel partnerships not only share the mind of Christ, gospel partnerships share the heart of Christ. Write that down. They share the heart of Christ. The mind of Christ is the first mark. The second mark is gospel partnerships share the heart of Christ. You get that in the end of verse 20. For I have no one like him, listen, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And then he contrasts Timothy with others, and I don't know who he's talking about. I think he's talking about other ministers. Because he says, for they all seek their own interest, not the interest of Jesus Christ. But Timothy's not like them. Timothy is someone who actually is concerned with your welfare. I would love to tell you the whole story of a significant moment when God used this verse in my life and in my ministry. I was dealing with a staff member at a previous church and just could not 
quite understand why it was evident to me that God's hand was not on their life and they were not a good fit and they needed to be transitioned out. And I got up one morning, I was just reading through my Bible and I came to Philippians chapter two and I realized the issue is this, is that we had someone on staff who was not genuinely concerned for the welfare of the people. And it was at that moment when I decided something had to change, that we were not gonna have someone on our staff that's not genuinely concerned for the welfare of people. And that's what Paul is saying, that Timothy is unique in that he loves you. He's very concerned with you and the way in which you are living, the things that are going on in your church. Now, that word concerned is the exact same word used in Philippians 4, 6 when Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Do you know that word anxious is the exact same word for concerned? It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 6, 25 when he says, don't be anxious about what you're gonna eat or drink or about what you're gonna wear. The Lord will take care of those things. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and those things will be added unto you. But it's a word that's often used to mean a deep care or concern as well. In 1 Corinthians 12, 25, uh, Paul says, you should have a concern one for another, church members. Same word. Well, the reason that's important is because it's not just a concern. It's more of a deep-rooted preoccupation. See, there's a difference in being concerned and being anxious. Being anxious means is that your mind is preoccupied with something. And so what Jesus says and what we will see in Philippians 4 later on is that we can't be preoccupied with ungodly things, but instead we should be preoccupied with kingdom things. What it's saying is this. Timothy is a man whose mind is preoccupied with people. And you know what that is? That's the shared heart of God. Paul loves people and Timothy loves people. And what Paul is saying is that what makes Timothy and I a great team is he's genuinely concerned with your welfare. Timothy loves people. He's preoccupied with you. They're sharing the heart of Christ, namely a passionate concern and pursuit of people. Think about Matthew 9, 36, when Jesus goes up on the hilltop and he looks over at the crowds of people, the multitudes, and he sees them, not as a multitude of people. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. He feels compassion for them, which means he literally feels a feeling in his gut in which he is wrenched with a deep concern for those people. That is what Paul and Timothy share. Now think about this. Think about what happens in your friendships, in your marriage, in your Sunday school, when what you share together is not only a common pursuit of Christ, but you both love other people. So you're no longer thinking about yourself, because that's verse 21. They all seek their own interests, not the interests of others. But you together are constantly thinking, how can God use us to bless other people? Would that change your relationships? God, how can you use it? We, we want to be a blessing to others. We want, God, you to use our friendship, our relationship, our marriage to bless others. That's what Paul is saying. Listen, a gospel partnership shares this desire to die to the need to have my needs met and instead together simply ask how the Lord can use us to bless other people. Our family has been thinking a little bit about this idea of compassion lately. We are headed uh, on Tuesday in the minivan on a little bit of a road trip. And I was counting up this morning how many hours that we're going to be together in the car on, on the road. And 
Uh, I think it's going to be about 26 hours in the next seven days. Praise Jesus, I'm so excited. I just, I mean, I, honestly, I wish it was Tuesday right now. I'm ready just to get in that car. And I mean, there's nothing I enjoy more than 26 hours in a van with five kids and my wife. It's just going to, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's like when we get in that car, everything just is peaceful. No one complains. And so, so we were talking the other day about, let, let's, let's pick out, some virtues that we can work on this summer. I, we're doing that. Like, I printed up a little thing this week that has a verse, we're gonna, a little passage we're going to memorize and some virtues. I said, what virtues are we going to need this summer? And, you know, they said a few. I said, well, I got one. How about patience? That'd be a good one we could work on. And kindness would be a, would be a good one we could work on. That. How about contentment? That would be a nice. But one of the ones that one of my daughters came up, she said, what about compassion? I thought, you know, that's actually a great one. Because what matters in that car is that we feel one for another. That instead of seeking our own interests, we're seeking the interest of others. And so I was looking up some definitions of compassion, and I found this one. Compassion is investing whatever is necessary to heal the hurts of others. Investing whatever is necessary, meaning compassion is an investment. Whatever is necessary with the motive to heal the hurt of others. Now imagine if you take your marriage or you take a relationship or a friendship and you say, okay, we want to share the compassionate heart of God, meaning we're going to invest whatever is necessary that we have in order to heal the hurts of others. That's exactly what a gospel partnership is, moving forward, constantly looking, not at ourselves, but the way in which we can help and heal other people through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So gospel partnerships share the mind of Christ. They share the heart of Christ. And the final mark is this. Write this down. Gospel partnerships share the mission of Christ. The mind of Christ. Why? Because they're both pursuing Christ and having their mind transformed. They share the heart of Christ. Why? Because both of them have the compassion of Jesus, they're loving people, they're wanting to go after people, and they share the mission of Christ. So look at what it says, starting in verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Now th this is a really sweet little verse. You know, it was... It was normal in those days for a son to simply uh, grow up and do the work that his father did. And the way in which a son would learn how to do the work that his father did is he would learn it from his son. We don't live in an environment much like this anymore, uh, but this is the way it worked. You were going to grow up and you're going to do what your father did. And by the time you grew up, you were already going to know how to do what your father did because you watched him do it and you did it with him. Now, Think about the awkward position that puts Timothy in because Timothy at a young age was called into the ministry. His father was not a believer and yet here he was called to the ministry but who's, who's gonna teach him how to do the ministry? Well, the answer is right here. You know as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. What a beautiful thing that here is a young man feeling called to the ministry whose, whose father probably does not approve, nor does he have anyone to teach him how to be in the ministry. A young man who had to say, I will obey my heavenly father before my earthly father, and any of you who have done that knows how painful and difficult that can be. 
And all of a sudden, having no idea how he's going to move on in that life, God brings Paul to town, and Paul has an affection for Timothy and says, I'm going to be your father in the ministry. And it is in that context in which Paul becomes a father in the ministry to young Timothy. But he doesn't say that like a father with a son, he served under me, or he served for me, or he served beside me. He said this, he served with me in the gospel. Meaning that even though there was this father-son relationship, what Paul was saying is that he's a partner with me and we have served in the ministry of the gospel. He has served with me partners in the mission of God. They shared this desire. They shared the desire of Philippians 1.8 that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. What is it that kept them together a common desire to see the kingdom of Christ advanced. Now the truth is, relationships are complicated. Relationships are difficult. It's difficult to keep friendships together. It's difficult to keep marriages together. And one of the greatest ways that God has given us to keep relationships together is to keep them together, rooted and grounded in a joint pursuit of Christ both receiving the heart of Christ, a focus not on each other, but a focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, seeing your relationship as about something bigger than yourself. I had a really interesting conversation two weeks ago. I I have two pastor friends that I'm very close to, and we uh, pray together on the phone once a month, and once a year we get together for an extended weekend, and uh, it's nothing's off limit in these conversations. They ask me, people ask me, how do you keep accountable? And uh, there's a lot of ways, but one of these ways is they ask us everything. We talk about our marriage, we talk about our purity, our relationships, everything. One of the guys said, what is, what is just some of the best practices you have in your marriage? We're learning from each other. How can we be better husbands? And one guy said, well, I, I'm gonna tell you something that may sound strange. He said, listen, I, and I don't wanna sound over-spiritual here, but my wife and I just started something And I'm amazed how it's deepened our intimacy with one another. We've started going out and sharing the gospel together. We've been going door to door together. And together, we'll go on date nights and go share the gospel. Can I just tell you, I'm so glad he went first. Because I was going to say like watching Netflix together. Like that was going to be my answer. (laughs) Well, Andrew and I love this new show. And we, I'm really glad he went first. But I thought, is it, think about that though. Like, if, if, if relationships must be deepened by common loves and common interest and relationships can only be blessed when the hand of God blesses them. Every relationship needs the hand of God on them. Can you imagine if in your friendships and in your marriage you decided, hey, instead of let's just sharing common interest, why don't we start to do some ministry together? You just have to believe that apart from what it would just kind of mentally and psychologically do to you, apart from all of that, there's a real supernatural blessing of God that would come upon that relationship. That God would protect that relationship. The devil would be afraid of that relationship. That God would bless it. And the truth is, is this is the kind of vision that God wants to give you for your friendships. He wants to call you into this. He, he, he wants you to see that this text is not simply a model. It actually is a call to us. It is a call to say that you have to have these kind of relationships. And can I just say right here, 
that these relationships that God blesses that are meaningful, that will take you into deeper places, that will use, be used to sharpen you, can only happen if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. These kind of relationships aren't possible. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ alone as the payment for your sins, if you have not submitted your life to his lordship and come into a personal relationship with him, it is impossible for you to have these kind of God-blessed relationships. It is a call for you to come into a relationship with Christ, to begin to pursue Christ more than you ever have before, to begin to, to pray that God would help your relationships to be meaningful and significant, to pursue these because they are difficult. And there's some humbling that has to take place to say our relationship has not been what it needs to be. I know we like each other and enjoy each other, but we, we got to go to another level. It's difficult, but can I assure you it is worth it because we desperately need them. And there is a God, listen, who has a desire to do a fresh and a new work in you, to bring things out of you, to heal things, to restore things, to teach you things, to grow you. A God who longs to use you for his kingdom, to use you to be a blessing for others. But all of those things are hinging on this question, will you be humble enough to pursue gospel partnerships? I just pray for your sake, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the kingdom, you will. Because there's nothing on earth like it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.